Having completed our study in James, I am wanting to move on to an Old Testament book. And so this evening, I want to go back to the book of Genesis. And I'm doing so very deliberately because there are so many important, fundamental, uh, basic principles, truths that we can derive from that which God reveals right at the beginning in the first book of the Bible and, and so coming to Genesis chapter 1 uh, this evening, I'm going to move uh, fairly quickly uh, over the chapters. We're probably going to tackle, God willing, the first 11, perhaps the first 12 chapters of the next few weeks. But I do trust that they will be of great encouragement to you as we once again just look at some of those important revelations from God that... Uh, we ought to remember that we ought to know and ought to lean on in the course of our daily lives um, as Christians. So thank you again for joining us tonight and uh, do trust our fellowship will be sweet and uh, honoring to God, edifying to the body. Let me pray as I commit this time to the Lord. Indeed, Lord, thank you that you have given to us the scriptures the Bible that has been preserved for us, your Holy Spirit continuing to use the truth that has been preserved over these many, many years. And so as we go back to the beginnings and just looking at uh, Genesis, we do pray for much, uh, Lord, instruction that would be of great value to us. Even thinking again of uh, Paul writing to Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed and useful. May we see something of that usefulness in our gathering together yet tonight. And so we pray this and Lord praying for each other just to receive your word with open hearts, a, willing, uh, a willingness in obedience to submit to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So right, we're gonna, I'm going to read chapter 1. I think it's important. It's quite a long reading. But do open your Bible, follow with me. A familiar passage, but a passage never to be forgotten. And certainly to see something of the intention of this passage as it would have been received by those first uh, readers. And don't forget that this is a book written by Moses. And uh, many, many years after the events of, of, of the book of Genesis. So follow with me then. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning of the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place. Let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, uh, fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. 
And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants uh, yielding seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs for the seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly over the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the uh, of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heaven and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life I've given, every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from his work that he had done in creation. Now much debate uh, has taken place in the course of time. Uh, over this particular chapter of the Bible. Uh, my intention this evening, however, is to go back and ask, what is it? What is it that those first readers would have gained? What was it that, as the Spirit of God directed Moses, what was it that was intended to address their particular situation? So we must remember that these people were uh, wanderers in the desert. They had been liberated. They had been redeemed from bondage in Egypt. They had crossed over the Red Sea miraculously. God had uh, brought about this saving 
of uh, them as a people. And, and uh, in the course of time, uh, various parts of his revelation was being made known. So, so Moses pens the first five books of what we would call the law, the Bible, uh, Genesis being one of them. And so thinking of those people and their particular situation, I want to begin this uh, study by looking looking at what it is that they were experiencing, how they were feeling about their situation, their present dilemmas and challenges that they were facing, wandering in the desert, and their future, the future prospects of uh, them being in a foreign land, uh, a land where there were other peoples occupying, especially where they had been told God was leading them to the land of Canaan and there were uh, various peoples who were settled there. So as an individual, as a people, um, I'm convinced there were certain insecurities that they were feeling. They were definitely feeling certain insecurities. And so in application, as we look at this passage, asking ourselves that question, uh, are people insecure. Generally speaking today, 2023, uh, is it possible that uh, we today also could feel some of the uh, insecurity, uh, some of the anxiety, some of the trepidation that uh, the people of Israel, the people of God were feeling back uh, in the day of Moses. And perhaps there's someone here today even feeling particularly vulnerable in your situation, uh, whatever that situation may be, feeling feeling a lack of confidence, feeling it difficult to navigate life and, and wondering about tomorrow and never mind next week or next year. We could make the mistake, many people perhaps making the mistake of thinking that there is nothing to be concerned about in the world that we are living in. We live in a world where technology Uh, information, uh, development has taken place. Uh, We live in a world where there has been a discovery of so many resources. There is the development and uh, perhaps we could say the presence of expertise, unbelievable expertise that provides anything and everything for secure living. Just think about some of the resources and expertise that uh, is still available to us today. We have political analysts who confidently predict the rise and fall of political parties and nations and and even conflict between nations. Uh, In more recent days, we have had the emerging uh, presence and uh, much has been said by those we call climatologists Uh, who have computer programs and satellites and they're scrutinizing the earth from a distance and they're predicting all sorts of uh, catastrophes and and possible uh, things that maybe happen because of climate change, uh, bringing about many warnings to citizens about dangerous uh, weather patterns. But believing that there's the ability to, to, to navigate and to manage the challenges that may be forthcoming. We know, too, that the stronger nations of the world have nuclear weapons. These weapons are largely held to prevent uh, major warfare taking place because knowing that if one sets off a nuclear weapon against another, there will be a retaliation and then the possible destruction 
of the world. We have medical science and I don't want to go into too much detail, but you get the idea. Uh, we, we live in a world where there's so much expertise, so many resources, not to forget that there's so much in terms of affluence. Uh, people have money, people have resources, countries have money, Com- companies, uh, countries have resources, and we have access to all sorts of information, even more so today because of the, the internet, instant access to information, uh, all of this available, and I haven't even begun to scratch the surface. Now, living in a world like that, there, there is a temptation for us to think and, and to have every reason to be confident to be secure, to be courageous about how we see today, how we see the future. We have so much. We know so much. We can do so much. There's a danger in thinking that we can conquer anything. Having said that, the truth of the matter is that people still feel insecure. People still feel vulnerable in 2023, whether they live in the Amazon jungle or whether they live in the New York City or London or any of the sort of developed and, and, and big cities of the world. People feel vulnerable. Just thinking in the recent weeks, people in Turkey and Syria uh, ex- uh, unexpectedly experiencing the terrible devastation of 7.8 uh, earthquake on the Richter scale, and, and we've all seen some of the devastation, the ongoing uh, humanity crisis that uh, that part of the world is dealing with. Literally, uh, thousands upon thousands of people plunged into absolute devastation, and they're feeling insecure. And, and, and others perhaps even wondering, will there be another earthquake? Uh, we live in a world where there are people perhaps we describe as a bunch of lunatics. And uh, could it be that there would be the hijacking of a whole bunch of planes and, and flying into uh, huge buildings like happened in, uh, in the 9-11 episode in New York City? Perhaps even in our own country, we're facing tremendous challenges around the supply of electricity. Lots of antagonism, a conflict between different political parties. So many rumors around corruption and, and, and even facts that are emerging around corruption in, in all sorts of, uh, at, at every level of society. And so you get the idea, uh, nationally, internationally, there's insecurity, locally and personally, there may be other insecurities. Uh, I would never have thought five years ago that I would be without my wife, that she would have passed away. I would never have thought that. Uh, uh, how, how do we know what tomorrow will bring? The possibility of, of, of uh, developing some kind of disease, uh, some kind of uh, affliction like Parkinson's or Alzheimer's? Uh, Will I end up bereaved or killed in a car accident? Will I be raped or murdered? Uh, Will an intruder enter my house and uh, what will happen when I die? These are all questions that that are real, questions that we, we, we think about that on the back of our minds and sometimes even in the forefront of our thinking. And no doubt, my point is this in this in this first point, there are legitimate concerns People are jittery, and there's good reason for people to feel jittery. Now, if that's true for us, 
living in the 21st century? What about those Israelites living thousands of years ago? Fewer experts to give the information that they might need. They were certainly surrounded by other stronger nations. These nations were serving other gods and they were seeking to appease, please, their gods. They were protecting their territory. And so the people of Israel knowledge must have been fairly limited as to how things work in the world, their particular worldview, something that we all have, they had, we have. I'm convinced that they too would have felt vulnerable and afraid and insecure. Which leads me to a second question. Why are people insecure? Why do people feel vulnerable? Well, think about the principle and there are many examples we can look at, even if you think back to your time at school, any of the younger people among us. We are vulnerable when there was a bully. I remember bullies at primary school. I remember bullies. I remember, here's a thought that comes to my mind. I think I was in standard three, uh, grade five, and uh, a bully grabbed hold of my cap. We had a little cap that we used to wear on our heads and uh, and, and I ran all the way home crying uh, and, and my mother had to come and follow up and, and, and get my cap from the bully. And, and, and I just felt so vulnerable and persecuted and helpless and, and desperate. And that happens at school. It can happen in the workplace. Victimized by a boss or another uh, colleague. It could be that illness or the prospect of illness may make you feel insecure. Uh, the economy uh, that uh, is unfolding in a downward uh, journey in South Africa may, might make you feel vulnerable, insecure. Crime, there, there's no doubt that every South African, certainly most South Africans feel vulnerable because of crime. We've built walls around our houses. I live in a suburb that's in the process of getting itself closed up with uh, booms and security guards, because crime. Uh, the recent months, we've had two murders uh, in, our, in our particular area. And, and so we have that. We, we have uh, crime that threatens us in, in our security. And then, of course, we have corruption and greed that also threatens future prosperity in the country. People, people get scared. People feel insecure because they are threatened. And so the reason we get scared, to take it another step further, is because of two reasons. One is power, what I mean by that strength, and the other is intention, or perhaps you could think about purpose. What is it that uh, is being achieved? And th these two issues are connected. Let me use a, a simple illustration. Uh, a a three-year-old child, little child, I have a little granddaughter that's three years old, uh, she can rant and, and rave all she likes. Uh, she doesn't want to eat her vegetables. She wants to rather have sweets. Uh, she would prefer to have gum babies and marshmallows uh, rather than the healthy meal that uh, her mom is seeking to give her. But she's powerless. She, she does not have the ability to make that decision to switch the sweets in place of the vegetables or the healthy food. 
On the opposite end of the spectrum, we know in our context in the world that those who are the political elite, those that rule in government, the ruling party, they have power. And, and if they decide, for example, to get rid of a particular uh, branch of, 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 uh, of law or uh, law keeping, like we saw some years ago with the, the eradication of the scorpions, well, they do that because they, they, they want to be protected from being found out or discovered or investigated or convicted and end up in jail. Because they're powerful. They're powerful. So my point, looking at this passage, and this is where I'm going to go, that you and I have every reason to be insecure if we're being threatened by anyone or anything stronger than ourselves with evil intent. I want to say that again. My point being that you have every reason to be insecure if you're being threatened by anyone or anything stronger than yourself with evil intent. Which takes me to my third point. How can our insecurity be addressed? This is such an important fundamental principle and revelation right at the beginning of the Bible. And the very first thing that I want to show you is that our insecurity can be addressed by establishing the extent of God's power. That's where the Bible begins. That's where it begins. The opening phrase of the Bible, the record setting straight how this wonderful, amazing, complicated uh, universe that we cannot even begin to understand the ends of the extent of it. It came into existence, we are told in verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Think about that statement, about that revelation. God made this entire universe, all of its complexity, all of the greatness of it, out of nothing. Ex nihilo, out of nothing. All of it in its indescribable magnificence, made by God. The author Moses here zooms in on describing something of the process of creation of our little planet Earth. Now the Earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. So yeah, we have a glimpse. We have a glimpse of a place. Don't really know what it was like other than what we're told over here, but it sounds quite desolate. Perhaps we could say like a, a desert where nothing can live, a place where there's no light at all, it's pitch black, and that which exists at this particular point in time is formless and empty and dark, a deep ocean, nothing can grow or develop, it's utter chaos. But there's a ray of hope, there's a ray of hope. Second verse, second part of that verse, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God is not part of the chaos. He hovers over the chaos like a mighty eagle. He's about to bring about order out of this chaos. God begins to speak. His first word takes on this lethal darkness in the third verse, and God said, Let there be light. There was light. 
And so he continues for the first three days. God forcing back the powers of chaos, darkness and water in order to form this uh, cosmos, a livable earth. After limiting the darkness, he takes on the destructive waters. In verse 6, God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. And it was so. The earth starts to take shape, water above and water below, air to breathe. But life as God intended, not yet possible. Again, he speaks and and making the earth fit for habitation. There's land, there's vegetation. Verse 9, and God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. Do you get the picture? Do you get the picture? What's happening here in this uh, account of, of creation? These first three days, God is forcing back the destructive powers of chaos simply by speaking. God speaks a powerful word and it was so. Something that must be remembered and contemplated. We believers especially, don't forget that. Peter uh, reports on some scoffers that were about in his day who did not want to recognize God. And uh, let me quote Second Peter chapter 3, verse 5 to 7. Peter reports, uh, he says, They deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed, the earth was formed out of water and by water. The creation account continues. Interesting observation, just uh, uh, to add this, the creation of the sun and the moon and the stars placed on the fourth day, right between the creation of vegetation on the third day and the creation of the fish and the birds on the fifth day. Is God not saying something to the people of Israel about uh, the pagan gods, uh, the so-called powerful pagan gods? God is simply pointing out that these gods, they were identified by these pagans as the sun and the moon and the stars. They're simply God's creation. They're the handiwork of God. The veg- as are the vegetation and the fish and the birds. There's no reason to be afraid of them. And so the point is reinforced by the author not mentioning the sun and the moon by name. Instead, he refers to them lights in the sky. They're not gods. They're lights provided and placed in the sky by God, for God, for His purposes. And in all of this creative activity... What's happening? What's this Genesis chapter 1 all about? God is making known the extent of his power. Something we need to grasp again. Remind yourself of it. For those original hearers, this sent a strong message about God. He's the king of the universe, the king of this world. Again, just think of the context. In ancient times, kings were owners of the land. And they were the law of the land. The king spoke and it was done. And so what we have here is a picture unfolding of an infinitely powerful sovereign God, king, who utters a decree from his throne and in the very utterance, in the word spoken, it was so. If at any time, dear friend, if you doubt the extent and the greatness and the magnitude 
of the power of God. Just look out your window. Look at the evidence. Take a walk outside and look up into the sky. Look at the evidence. The psalmist gets it right, got it right. Let me read Psalm 33, verse 6 to 11. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, the starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord spoils the plans of the, the Lord spoils the plans of the nations. Get that. He thoughts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Feeling insecure? Why don't you take some moments to meditate on Psalm 33 and just examine, pray that the Spirit of God would minister to your soul, encouraging and affirming the extent of the power of God that you serve. But there's a second reason, and we want to now look at the, uh, the fact that our insecurities can be addressed by the extent, again, of the nature of God's intentions. If you read the passage uh, again, we did read it, there's a recurring pattern. There's an introduction, and God said there's a command of, of what ought to be done, let there be. There's a report it, after the execution, and it is so. There's evaluation, and God saw it was good. There's a time sequence. There was evening, and there was morning. Now, there's some variation in the use of the formula, but the one constant, the one constant is the divine evaluation that each element of God's creation is good. The object is created as it should be. No flaws, no blemishes. On each of these reported days of creation, let's not forget that God is the gifted artist who looks back to admire and approve his work, his own work, and is pleased with his handiwork. There's a slight subtle difference in God's evaluation when he inspects the creation of man and woman. They are seen to be not just good, but very good. Then one is left with a clear impression that humankind, therefore, is the climactic moment of creation, that God is more than well pleased with humans made in his image, made in a separate category to relate to him, to experience him and to think and to worship and to honor and to give glory. Having, as we're told in this passage, made in his image uh, as the, the creature who will rule or, and have dominion over God's creation uh, to continue the creative activity by being fruitful and increasing in number. And again, to say that wonderful privilege of being able to relate to God, to be able to reason and to think. Just a comment about the Babylonian creation story. There are these other stories that others have recorded. And the Babylonian creation story portrays humans as slaves of the gods. Genesis 1 proclaims we are created as his representatives in this world. We manage his kingdom on his behalf. That is God's good plan. 
And remember, we're talking about intention, purpose. This is God's good plan for his kingdom and for humans. Verse 26 and 27, chapter 1. Let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Distinct in gender. The good purposes are further revealed in the way he provides for his creatures. In pagan belief, humans had to provide food for their gods, for their many pagan gods. Yeah, God provides food for his people. Picture again of the goodness of, 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 of God in creation, in his intention. God's creation in his marvelous gift for us to enjoy and to develop responsibly. Now we're going to continue with a fourth point that I've simply called implications. First implication is a realization of who is God and who are you? Well, scientists are discovering today something of the greatness and the bigness of the universe. There may be a billion galaxies, each with a billion stars. And in the midst of this universe floats this little planet called Earth. Now, for those who do not believe in God, do not accept the revelation from God, this can be a frightening picture. We seem to be this little speck of dust floating around in the dark and terrifying universe. The earth is this little frail ship, as it were, floating among mighty neighbors. Can you see why the natural man who does not believe in God wonders insecurely, vulnerably, sometimes deceptively courageously, because the earth may be struck by some kind of devastating crisis, whether it be an asteroid or a nuclear bomb. And so the thinking, when God is not in the picture, is the world and the peoples in the world are at the mercy of the powers beyond our control. Random chance. So you either take your chances and hope for the best, or you bury your head in the sand. That's the view, the world view, that is being propagated in our world. There's a better alternative. Let us hear what has been said in the opening chapters of the Bible. Genesis 1 shows us the powerful nature of God and the good intention of God in the exercise of that power in making this world and all of creation. He's the sovereign king of the universe. There's no one that can stand in the way of the purposes and decrees of God. God created this world as his good kingdom, and he continues to sustained by his word we are told in the book of Hebrews the word of Jesus he sustains this earth and controls everything for his good purposes there's no such thing as left to chance or luck our king is sovereign and in control 
John, in his gospel, echoes the words of Genesis 1. You know it so well in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Don't forget who God is. Don't forget who you are. As a creature made by God, subject to God, under the control of God, either by his deliberate intent and design or by even that which he permits. You see, Job, uh, and God makes this point with Job, don't get things the wrong way around. Job 38 verse 8 to 11. Job, put on your thinking cap, brother. Think about who you are. Think about who I am. Who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come and no further. Here is where your proud waves halt. See what God is saying to Job? Don't forget who I am. I have the power. I am the king. You're the creature. You submit to me. You and I, dear friends, have tremendous dignity and we'll get to further chapters as the Bible unfolds. We have tremendous value being made in the image of God. And yes, the fall does take place and we're going to consider that. But even after the fall, the good intent of God in the unfolding of redemption history. The power of God. The good intentions of God. And so my final point then, can you be secure? Well, it does depend. It does depend. It depends on whether you are a a subject in the kingdom of light, or whether you prefer to dig your heels in as a subject in the kingdom of darkness. You see, there's no need to be insecure or afraid if you are one who enjoys the favor of God through his redeeming purposes that came about through the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 Speaking of Jesus, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, now get this reference back to Genesis 1. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones or powers or rulers, authorities, all things created by him and for him. Do you think you're the master? Or do you think the president of the United States is determining the course of events in the unfolding history of this world? <laughs> God laughs. Never ever. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. The wonderful condescension and mercy and grace of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen the glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father. Full of grace and truth. Dear friends, I want to encourage you tonight. God is powerful and God is good. 
he can be trusted as we navigate our lives through the difficulties, through the hardships, through the bends in the road, through the illnesses, even through the valley of the shadow of death. God is not malicious or fickle. God is loving and faithful. He has control, working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so, Father, I pray that we would again just see the greatness of who you are, that we would worship you and trust you, implicitly trust you, knowing that you are good, that you are powerful, that you're unfolding your purposes, that nothing, no one can thwart that which you are doing in us and around us and for us, even to the end of the age. And we pray this, Lord, in your name, that you would be exalted and glorified. Amen. Just the one further slide, uh, some questions. And I deliberately did not go down the route of the debate of evolution and creation. That was not the issue of the day. So let us consider the passage in its context first. And yes, at some other time we can debate uh, the questions that have been asked in our particular uh, day and age. But do discuss these questions. I pray that this... Uh, uh, study would indeed encourage you to trust God more and more. So God bless you until we meet again.